Why does God allow suffering? The reason we have this question is because God is supposed to be omnibenevolent, omnipotent, omniscient. I mean, he's supposed, to, he's supposed to be all in all, right? He's supposed to have just all the love, all the wisdom, and all the power. So if he's got all the love, all the wisdom, all the power, he knows all this stuff's going. Why does God allow suffering? But here's the problem. Here's, here's kind of the rub about why we get to this place where we start questioning God. And, and you know, I, I think every one of us, every one of us has, has questioned this before, right? Have you ever, have you ever asked the question, if not out loud, at least in your heart, why does God allow suffering? Anybody besides pastor? I'm going to be honest. I mean, maybe some of you super spiritual people, you know, you've got it all figured out so you don't have to ask that question, Right. But is there anybody, I'm going to ask that question again one more time. How many of you will admit with me that I have often asked why in the world God allows so much suffering in this world? Thank you. Thank you. Because I want everybody to know that you're not alone in thinking this. And you know, here's the cool thing too, is God, God's not blown away with the fact that you ask questions about his nature. Because you know what, we, we are, you know, his nature and we're here, we're so below, you know, the, the understanding of, of all that he is, we can't understand. And to ask that question is a good thing. As long as we keep our attitude right about it, you know, and as long as we don't just bail on God completely, he loves for us to, to, to ask him, maybe even challenge him at times, say, God, this doesn't seem like it fits into your nature. You got, what are you doing here? So God's fine with that. So that's why, that's why really I think the rub of this past month and the, and the weight and the burden is, is, I know that you all have this question. You know what? There's not. I've t I told you at the beginning of this series, there aren't a lot of yes or no answers. This is not a yes or no answer, okay? It's not a yes or no question. This is almost like an onion. Y'all ever peel an onion? You know how you peel an onion? You just peel off layer by layer by layer. That's the way this, this, this question is. It's, it's like there's so many layers to it. And the outer layers, those are the ones that are, you know, real, real shallow. You know, like a lot of us, sometimes we're shallow in our understanding and our thinking and our, our imagining of who God is and his nature. And so we peel away those shallow layers first and we get deeper and deeper and deeper into the understanding of who God is and even why there is suffering in a world that was created by an omnibenevolent, omnipotent, omniscient God, you know, why, why, why there is. And so let's start peeling, peeling off these layers. But here, here's, here's, I think, is the, the, the big reason why we ask this question is because we are so distracted by the culture that we have to live in every day. And we have, a, we have this culture that is all around us. I mean, we turn on the TV, we turn on the radio. I mean, we even, you know, open our phones today, you know, that, our smartphones that are computers in our hands that are connecting with everything and culture. And, and our culture is telling us all these crazy things. And then we come to church for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. And if, if you know, if you're really chasing after God, then you're in your small group as well. And, and if you're really, really chasing after God, then you're digging into your scripture. But, but culture is still invading our lives so much more than those moments that we have with God. And it's so easy to get distracted that then we start asking these kinds of questions. And we say, but, 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 so here. First of all, let's do this. First, let's clarify 
Suffering. What is suffering? Okay, let's clarify that first of all. I want to take you to a little story here because uh, I think this this is a lot of the way. It's kind of like in a way. It's kind of a of a story of who we are in our culture here in the United States of America. In Luke chapter twelve. This is verse sixteen through twenty one, and this is Jesus who is about to tell us a parable. He says, "The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and this rich man thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops?'" Okay, now he, he could have been saying this like, "Hmm." What should I do since I have no room to store my crops? But I, I kind of see this as a picture of, of the United States of America culture. And we're almost like, we are so blessed. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I'm going to have to build bigger barns and it's going to cost me money. And I'm going to spend a lot of time doing this. You know, It's like, we, we, we're so blessed. We don't know what to do with our blessings. And we get blown away with our blessings. It's almost like the blessing becomes suffering to us at times. And it brings suffering. Oh, I hope, I hope some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about shallow here, right? We're peeling off that very first level of the, of the onion, okay, right now. And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. You're dying tonight. That's what God's saying to him. You're going to die tonight. You don't know it. You spent all this time doing this, and you've got all that laid up for many, many, many years. But then whose things will these be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He, he, this, this man, Jesus called him a fool. He said God's going to call him a fool because he, he spent all this time investing in things that are going to pass away. I meant the most you got in this life. I mean, if, if you're really, really, really lucky, you know, that guy on the Today Show is going to show your picture when you're 100 years old and you have a birthday, right? You know, so, but even if you just have 100 years, that's what you're doing. You're working really hard just for that. But what about when you die? And for some of us, death is a lot closer than others. And like for this guy, I mean, it was like that night. And, and, and we're foolish if we're only laying up treasure for that. Okay, again, we're peeling off the outer level, the very shallow layer, right? Hebrews chapter 13, uh, God's word says in verse five, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God says, stay free from, from the love of money and those kinds of things and be content be content in what God says he will give and do for you. Okay, here's the problem, is that our culture today, and that, that next little slide that says that it gives us there, says our culture today defines life by materialistic metrics such as money, possessions, and comfort. Like this rich farmer that Jesus was telling the parable about. It, it, all of his life was measured in the metrics of money, possessions, and even comfort because then once he got it, he said, okay, now I can just kick back and I can relax. That's our problem. This past week, Dave and I, we were, uh, we were at a conference uh, was with a lot of missionaries, and, and, and one of the missionaries was up, and he was talking. He was talking about how, how, much, how much we spend here in the States, and even churches. He talked about how churches spend so much on their buildings here in the States. And you know what? I, I was just thinking, I was just thinking, you know, there are, there are pastors today that are struggling, having a hard time preaching the message that God has given to them, because on their way to church, they pass by a church that is bigger than theirs, or had more cars parked outside than they were going to have parked outside. And the jealousy that just entered their heart on their way to church is holding them from being able to even, and, I, and I'm not jumping on the pastors. I'm saying that's what our culture is doing. That's what we're doing. And, and as, this, as this missionary continued, he, he's a mission. This particular guy was a missionary to Nicaragua. And he said, he said, churches in Nicaragua, a lot of them only have a hut and two concrete blocks. And that's church. That's their church building. 
But he said, but they have revival happening in their building. Because it's not about the building, and it's not about the stuff, and it's not about making, making something of, uh, of us and who we are and a name, and so people drive by, and, and maybe the, the pastor down the road gets jealous of us because we're in, in a better place or whatever. That's not what it's about, but it, it's, it's about what God was trying, what Jesus was trying to tell, and what God was trying to tell this, this rich farmer. It's about the things that are going to last for eternity. You see, here in the United States of America, we, 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 we really don't suffer. I mean, even when you're, we're not really suffering. I mean, it, it, how in the world do we equate, think about it, how in the world do we equate having to sell a bass boat that we couldn't afford anyway? And a little nervous laughter right there. With a lady in a third world country who today will have to choose between shoes or bread for her children. How do we equate that and say we're suffering because, well, I couldn't make the payments on whatever it was that you shouldn't have bought anyway. How do we equate that? And, I, and probably for most of us, one of the biggest things that will, that will hit us in the face is the loss of a job. And many of you have lost jobs. Many of you have lost jobs. Most of us have lost jobs in the past, but many of you have lost jobs just in the last two or three years. And, and, and if we're not careful, we will call that the big suffering that we're going through. But how do we even equate the loss of a job with what several people went through this past week in Oregon when they were, at, when they were told to stand up and say, are you a Christian? And, 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 you know, and I heard somebody say the, 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 the most brave person in the, in, the, in the world that day was the second person who said, yes, I'm a Christian when they saw the first one get shot in the head. How do we even equate losing a job with losing our life for Christ? Or, or those Christians in, in countries in the Middle East today and, 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 and that, are, that are losing their heads, that they're being head. How do we even equate that? As a matter of fact, how do we even equate 99% of what we call suffering in this country and that we call suffering in our lives, how do we even equate that with the sufferings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he died on the cross of Calvary, when he was beaten for 24 hours, when he took stripes on his back for our healing? How do we even equate that in actuality? You and I living here in the United States of America, most of us that live today in the United States of America have never suffered a day in our life, not truly suffering. What we need to do is those of us who don't have any real problems, we need to quit whining and we need to start declaring, I am blessed. Amen. Amen. We need to start declaring, I am blessed. Because I am blessed. Let me tell you, I am blessed. I've had people lie, lie on me. I've had people sue me. I've had, I've had all kinds of things. But I am blessed. Because every time somebody tries to knock me down, God's there to catch me before I hit, pick me back up. And I am blessed. So don't let this culture tell you that you're suffering because you can't keep up with the Joneses. Well, let that sink in just a minute, right? Quit, tell, quit allowing a culture tell you you're suffering. And that's one of the reasons we're, we're God, why are you allowing all this suffering? And we ain't even got a clue. We aren't suffering. Let's define what suffering is. And, and secondly... Uh, on the next slide is we don't know what God knows. And we're still, and somewhat we're defined, still defining suffering here, okay? But we need to recognize we don't know what God knows. When we forget that we don't know what God knows, it's easy for us to say, now God, why did you do that? You know, and a lot of times you get mad with somebody in your life because you don't know what they know. You don't know why they made that decision. You know, I, like, like I tell staff, 
I've, t- I've told the staff se- several times, I, tell them, I, t- I, t- I will tell them many more times as the years progress, I, I will tell them, is, is you don't make appointments without telling me because that person that you're wanting to appoint to work with the kids may have just been in my office, you know, uh, repenting over something that we don't need them working with our kids. And I can't tell you that. I know things you don't know. And the same way God knows things that we don't know. And when we forget that, and that's what the culture thinks, our culture is thinking, well, if God saw all that we see, no, he sees everything we see, and he sees even more. He sees the intent of people's heart. But he doesn't just see what they did yesterday and what they're doing today. He knows what they're going to do tomorrow. And sometimes, I know there have been times where God has probably allowed someone to die a respectable death today because they were going to die a much worse one tomorrow or in the near future. I got a friend in ministry, and he and I were talking about this issue of suffering not too long ago. He's been through a lot, so I kind of asked him. And uh, he said this. He said, I have prayed for people with diabetes, but they can't get the donuts out of their mouth. I am so glad he said that, not me. Okay, so uh, some people ask me, why do you quote people and tell everybody? Because I want, sometimes it's just easier for me to tell you. He said that, I didn't say it, okay? He said that, I didn't say it. And what an awesome metaphor, because it's not really, that's not all he's saying here. This is a metaphor for us. Is we, you know, we want to do all kinds of things. We want to live our life the way I want to. Choose all of our choosings, do it, do it all our way. And then we want to run to God and say, now God, fix it. And we still haven't even changed our ways yet. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You know, we don't get to just do everything and then run to God saying, God, I've messed it up and I'm still messing up and I'm planning to mess it up a little bit tomorrow, but would you fix it today for me, God? It doesn't work like that. What an awesome metaphor that he has given us that in our sickness, our spiritual diabetes, we continue to eat the donuts. Now listen, I'm not against donuts. You guys know that, right? If you drive by the Krispy Kreme sign, uh, uh, store and the Hot Now sign is on, you are more than welcome to bring the pastor a dozen donuts, okay? And I'll pay you for them when you get to my house. I'm not against donuts. Somebody say amen. I, you know, I, I, should, I, I didn't get a lot of amens out there. Come on, I'm not against donuts. But you know what I, you know what I am against? I am against you destroying your life and not realizing that God cannot fix what you continually to willfully destroy in your life. And if you are spiritually a diabetic and you're still eating donuts and then blaming God for it, stop. Just stop. I mean, today, take the, take the scales, the blinders down and, and see what is really happening here. If, if, if you are, whatever your problems are in your life, if you are part of the problem, then stop blaming God and come to God humbly and say, God, I'm part of the problem. Show me how to quit eating donuts in this situation. Now, I thought about listing a whole lot of stuff here, but I'm going to miss somebody if I do. So let me just leave it right there with that metaphor. Wherever you're eating donuts and blaming God, Stop. Stop whining about it because it's not God's fault. God can't fix it if you keep tearing it up. I mean, he could, but he'd have to fix it and he'd have to kill you right now so you wouldn't mess it up tomorrow. If y'all want that, come on down. We'll pray for you right now. If you can't stop eating the donuts, right? But that's not God's plan. God wants to help you get through this. So now that we've defined a little bit of what suffering is not, suffering is not what a lot of us think suffering is. I mean, when we bring something on ourselves and we're suffering, it's not the same as what real suffering is. There's real suffering going on in this world. So, so thirdly, we have a short-term perspective. This is, this, is our, this is one of our big problems also, and this is a culture issue too. Culture is focused on here and now. 
You only go around once in life, so go for all the gusto you can. That was a beer commercial from when I was probably a kid, and I still hear people say it. They say it in a different way, but our culture still says it. You know what Paul said? Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And here's what a lot of us want to do. We want to say light and momentary. That's not my troubles. Yes, they are. We just defined what a lot of our troubles are, and they are light and momentary. And I know you want to look at Paul. You want to say, Paul, you're you're mean. I mean, that's mean to call my troubles light and momentary. This is a guy that knew what trouble was. You go, but you go down a little bit further in this letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, and he lays out a lot of the troubles, the real troubles he had, imprisonments, beating innumerable times, received 39 lashes, five times he received 39 lashes, he was beaten with rods three times, he was stoned, and that doesn't mean that stuff that they're smoking out in Colorado, okay? He was stoned. People, they picked up rocks and actually threw at him to try and kill him and thought he was dead. He was stoned once, shipwrecked three times, spent a night and a day afloat in the see in danger from rivers, his countrymen, his, uh, the Gentiles, everybody, everybody, and on and on and on. And what does he write? He writes, for our light and momentary troubles, this man who has gone through all this says, but these are light and momentary troubles compared to what glory God is, is, has in store for us. It's, and, and, and sometimes we have a hard time focusing on that because, okay, okay, now you're talking spiritually, pastor. And I know that's the problem is we're still in our culture mindset. And we can't deal with this spiritually. Let me help you if I can right here. If 20, 2016, this, the year 2016 begins for you, on January the 1st, you get the pink slip from your boss. You get fired. And then, you know, you, you also get a letter. You're behind in your mortgage. They repossess your house that day. Your, your, your dog snaps at you, runs next door, tears something up of the neighbors, and, and, and then bites the neighbor's child, and, and then your neighbor drags your dog home and says, I'm suing you, suing, for, you, suing you for every cent you got, and the, and the day just goes downhill from there. I mean, if every possible thing that you could imagine bad happened to you, happens to you on January the 1st, 2016, but then on January 2nd, things turn around. From January, say, you find a new job that very next day, a better job than you had. You get a raise. You get promotions throughout the year. People are acknowledging you. You're receiving achievements. You, you are, you are uh, recognized as the citizen of the year, wherever it is, whichever community it is you live in. People are writing articles. but They're blogging about you. They're telling you how amazing you are. You, you know, your, your, your yard wins the, the yard of the month, you know, and all that kind of a stuff. I mean, it's, it's just amazing, all the great stuff that happens to you for the rest of 2016. And on December 31st, somebody asks you, well, how was your 2016? What are you going to tell them? You're not even going to remember January the 1st. You were going to say 2016 was the most awesome year I have ever lived in my life. And then somebody, some little devil is going to say, but wait a minute, what about January the 1st? And I don't mean like a little devil. Maybe it's just a spiritual devil because I know you ain't got any of those little ones living with you in your house or, any, or, or do you? No. But they just say, what about that? Jan-? And you're going to say, well, you know what? I didn't even think about that. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, and, and actually in 2016, it's going to be one out of 366 days because it's a leap year, huh? 
So it's even, even less than that. And eternity is gonna be even less than that. This is what Paul is saying. These things that are happening to us right now are nothing compared to one day in eternity when somebody asks you, how's it going? You're gonna say, man, it is so awesome. Everything, and, and, and you know, and then somebody might say, well, didn't you have a rough life? You're gonna have to say, oh, wait a minute, I'll have to think about that because I don't remember that because it's been so long ago and there have been so many blessings and there have been so much goodness that God has put into my life. And, and you're gonna realize that what, what he said is, is gonna be outweighed by the, by the eternal glory that God is preparing for us. And that's not sitting on a cloud with a halo and playing a harp and sitting on a cloud. So that is living in the new earth that God is going to create with a place for you that he has specifically created for you. This, this is the plan that God has for you. And so what we do often is we treat it like we're in the middle of January 1st and we can't even imagine it ever getting any better. I pray God just blows the blinders off of you today. And you realize that there is so much more that he has. And these light momentary troubles, we're getting a little deeper, aren't we? We're getting a little deeper into peeling, the, peeling that, that onion today, getting closer to, to the realities of what it is. I've got a friend that back when uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring came out, when was that? Anybody, any, any of you Lord of the Rings fans, when did the Fellowship of the Ring come out in its theaters? 2002, somebody say? In 2002, Fellowship of the Ring came out. He, he was not C.S. Lewis, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, um, um, Tolkien, Tolkien fan. He was not a Tolkien fan, he didn't know Lord of the Rings, so he didn't realize it was a trilogy. Y'all know what a trilogy is, right? It's three stories. It was going to be three movies. And you know what happens, right? Is at the end of the first one, it'll set up the second one, right? So, so the final scene is, is right here. Here's kind of the, a, a shot of the final scene of Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, the very first one. And, and, and Sam and Frodo, they're, they're kind of talking about this journey they've got to take. I mean, everything in this first long, long movie that my friend has sat through that he has no idea what in the world's going on here. Hobbits and elves and fairies, not fairies, but yeah, all of, all of these. And, and it's, I have no idea what's going on here. And now all he said, these two little hobbit guys, they're talking about this. And in just a second, they start walking down into the valley and they start, and they start toward the trek of what they've been talking about for this whole movie and then it fades out and the credits start rolling and you know what my friend does he stands up in the middle of the movie theater and he says that's it I've sat here for two and a half hours and that's the end of the story and he, he didn't realize there are two more movies coming we're just setting it up but you know what that's exactly what we do with God we sometimes stand up in the middle of our life as if that's the end of the story and say, that's it, God. But can I tell you something? That's not the end of the story. The story is not yet over. You're still alive. The story is not yet over. There are things going on. There, in, in, the next, in the next movie, there are new characters to be introduced. There are new plot twists that are going to happen. There are new battles that, that, that must be fought. And in your life, there are new battles that God is going to win for you in your future. There is more joy. There is more peace. There is more victory. There is more awesomeness that God, the story is not over. So don't jump up in the middle of this. That's what culture wants to do and wants to say, hey, it's all over. But can I tell you something? it wasn't over. 
It, it wasn't over in Oregon this past week. It is not over. It was not over for those families, and it is definitely not over for those Christians who stood up and said, yes, I'm a Christian, and had a bullet put through their brain. It is not over today, but they are understanding now that their light and momentary troubles, because they're standing with God in his presence, that their light and momentary troubles have now opened up to them an amazing door of, of eternal glory and amazing glory. Let me take you on, Okay. The, four, the fourth little point here is, is that God is not the author of evil and suffering. That's what culture is beginning to think. Well, God created, he didn't, he's not the author of this. In Genesis chapter one, you got verse 31 up there. And, and it says, when God saw all that he had made, he, you know, when he created the world in Genesis one, at the end of that chapter, it says, when God saw everything he had done, he looked all, and he, he said, it, it's good. That was the seventh time God had looked at his creation and said it was good in Genesis chapter one. He says it was good, 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 it was good. God created an awesome and amazing world for you and I to live in, but we've messed it up. He said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 don't wait a minute. James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights. The father of lights, not the father of darkness, but the father of lights, the father of openness, the father of understanding, the father of amazing things happening. Those good and perfect gifts, they all came from him because he created it that way in the first place. Now there's another father that Jesus talks about in John chapter eight, verse 44. He's talking about Satan. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so what God did, God created this big, awesome, beautiful world, and he continues to give us big, awesome, beautiful things in our lives. But then there is this, this, this liar, this father of lies who comes in and tells us all these lies and tells us what we should be doing with our life. And he takes the big, beautiful, awesome of what God wanted to do in our life, and he turns it into dirty and broken. Let me give you the example. Sex. One of the most amazing gifts that God gave to solidify the union between man and woman, to literally make us one. But what especially, let's talk about our culture, let's not talk about theirs, let's talk about ours. Especially our culture, you know what has happened? God's given us this big beautiful gift, the good gift that has come down from the Father of lights, but the Father of lies has told us how to play with our new toy that God has given to us. You know, and like a little toddler, sometimes we, we play with things wrong and we break it or we get it dirty and it's no longer of use. And so that's what has happened is the father of lies has told us to use, it, use this gift any way you want to. And as a matter of fact, here's a good way that you can use it. And so what we have now in our culture, we, we, we now have in our culture people misusing this big, beautiful, awesome gift. And they're misusing it in such a way that, that people now are even, even using it to just manipulate other people, to control other people. We're using it to abuse and, and to hurt and harm other people. We're, we're using it to get our way. People are actually using it to make money off of. And so now we are reaping a boatload of problems because we have broken and dirtied this big, beautiful gift that God has given us because we as a culture has li have listened to the father of lies. And then what the culture wants to do now is say, God, you gave us this gift. Why is now it causing so much problem in our world? It's because we have abused the gift because we have broken it. We have, we have made it dirty and man, I could preach here a while, couldn't I? But this is what God says because of this. And, and that's what has happened. Let me, let me take you to an example from now, what, 14 years ago. 
September 11th, 2001. I bet you remember where you were that morning, don't you? If you were alive. I bet you remember where you were. And, 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 and you know what people ask? They say, where was God? Yeah, that's the question, right? Where was God when all this was happening? Oh man, we forget so easy, don't we? We forget what God was doing. Do you know, I don't know if you've ever heard it or not, just Google some things when you get home if you don't know. You know what you'll find out? You'll find out that those four jets that crashed that day were only 38% full. Leaving major metropolitan areas, they were only 38% full. 62% of the potential victims on those planes did not even get on the planes, maybe never even bought a ticket. And now we know the stories. Of course, they've come out over the years, the past 14 years, of, of people like Seth MacFarlane, uh, some of you would know that name, some of you won't, but uh, you know, he, he's a celebrity and, and his agent gave him the wrong time for his plane. He was supposed to be on one of those flights, but his agent gave him the wrong time and he showed up 30 minutes too late to get on the plane that crashed into one of the trade towers. He, and, uh, or uh, Mark Wahlberg, who was, who was also, I believe he was, he was scheduled to be on flight 11. And, and the, at the last minute, he decided to charter a, a flight to Canada instead of going to California for he and a bunch of his friends. Patty Austin, uh, the singer, she's been around for many years, and she's not a real household name, but, but uh, she, was, she was flying back to California, uh, but she was going to fly on September the 11th, but her mom had a, had a stroke, and so she moved it up. She bumped her flight up to a day early, and she left on the 10th instead of the 11th. There was, a, there was a stewardess, her, her last name was O'Kane, I don't remember her first name, but a stewardess who the night before uh, September 11th, she was trying to get on the, one of those flights going to California, and, and, and she had some computer problems, and, and she couldn't get logged in in time. By the time she got logged in, the cutoff was, it was too late, and she couldn't get on that flight because they, they, they have a cutoff for, for their staff. And you know, I don't, I don't know that she was a Christian woman, but if she wasn't, I can imagine her cussing that computer. Come on. You think about it. Cussing that computer and say, why won't this thing work? Ugh, I want it. What's wrong with the internet? The internet's too slow. I'm not going to get And then when it was all over and I missed my flight, now I've got to stay here on the East Coast and angry until the next day when she sees what happens to the, what's happened to the flight. The Pentagon, where the plane crashed into the Pentagon, was in a place that they had just been remodeling, and most of the offices in that part were empty. The, 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 the buildings themselves, they were, they were uh, less, less than half full. You know, there were, there were a lot of people that died that, that day, but it could have easily been 100,000 people just in those two buildings that could have died that day. But people were showing up late because there were a lot of traffic jams. There, were, there was a lot of traffic problems that day. There were, there were uh, the, the, some of the trains didn't run on time. Uh, uh, there, there were people like Sarah Ferguson. Yeah, you know, the Duchess of York, she was being interviewed by the Today Show, and she was supposed to be in the trade towers for one of her charities to do something there, and she ran late, and she didn't get there either. And, and, and uh, I'm trying to think, there was, there, was, there was somebody else I was thinking about I was going to share with you, but I, I, they're slipping my mind right now. I've got, I've got to hurry. I've got to go on. But can't you imagine? Can't you imagine the people, you know, in their car on their way to work and, and, and they have a flat tire and they're getting out there cussing like, I'm going to be late now. And then about an hour later, they're like, thank God for a flat tire. Or somebody hurrying out the door and, and you got, you know, got their mocha latte, whatever all that stuff is. I don't drink it, so I don't know, you know. And they're running too fast and they spill it on their white shirt and, and now they get mad and they got to go back in and they got to, I'm going to be late because I got to go change my shirt. 
And when the, when the, the planes hit the North Tower and then hit the South Tower, when it hit the North Tower, at first the South Tower did, didn't evacuate, but finally they said, we better evacuate, and so they started evacuating. And then the plane hit the, the South Tower as well. And so when those, when those, two, those two towers were standing there teetering and, and not, us not knowing what was going to be, you know, I, don't, I don't know if anybody thought they were actually going to come down. But the, the South Tower, because, it, it, I mean, here, here's, here's what I see happening, because I hear the stories and I hear how this happened and the timing of how it happens. It's almost like God says, okay, I've got to get everybody out of this building that I can. And when the plane hit that South Tower, a lot of people had already evacuated. But when the plane hit that South Tower, pretty much almost everybody above that, their fate was sealed. Almost as if God was saying, I'm not going to stop this whole evil from happening today. But I'm going to save 80% of the people in these planes and in the Pentagon and in this trade center and, and, and on the ground. And so it's like he held that South Tower until virtually everybody under that plane where it impacted got out of the South Tower. 56 minutes, I believe it was. And he, it's like he just lit, took his hands away. And, and the same thing with the North Tower, but because they didn't have advance warning, they had to have longer. They'd have longer to get out, and you know that North Tower stood for an hour and 42 minutes to give virtually, there are virtually no people. It's like, it's like 99% of the people under the impact on both buildings got out, and, and they were able to get out, like, like Sujo John. Another, another one of the stories, he was, in the, he was in the South Tower and they were evacuating because the, it now, and they were, he had started down, but now he had been hit and so he's hurrying down and he gets down to the first level to the mall and the, and the North Tower begins to come down and they feel this rumbling and, and all this and he's, he steps back against the wall there in the mall of, of the first level and he's standing there and he's saying, and he's saying, oh God, oh God, and he starts calling out to God, so what are we going to do? And, and he said, I, I just hear this voice inside of me, he says, where are the people around you about to go? And he knew immediately God was saying, where are they going to go in eternity? And he said, I started yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And he said, when I started, he said, almost immediately, all the people around me began yelling out to God, crying out to him, calling out to him. And in, the, in those last moments of many of those people's lives, he was an evangelist. And God allowed him to get down to this level. And he eventually got out as well. But God allowed him. And it's almost like God, but the, even, even then when the, the towers fell, you remember how they fell? Straight down. If they had toppled, if one had gone this way and one had gone that way, no telling how many buildings and lives would have been crushed. But it's almost like when God says, okay, I've gotten everybody out that can possibly get out, and he let it go down, but he made sure it went straight down. And it, didn't, and it did not impact the buildings around it. Let, let me tell you one more story. Three days after this, on, on Friday, I called a friend of mine, um, and we talked, uh, we, we emailed a little bit and then I called him and we talked, a friend of mine who, who, was, who was a pastor at that time on Long Island. And he had several members of his church that worked in the trade towers and he told me, not one of my members was at work that day. And he told me, one, he told me a couple of stories, but the one I want to share with you the most is this one right here. He said, he said one of the ladies, he said, I think she, I think she was on the worship team. So she was, she was connected to Jesus. She was connected to the Holy Spirit. I mean, she, she felt that connection. And she, uh, she was awakened by her alarm clock, and as she started getting out of bed, she said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't go to work today. But she said, I just kind of said, well, maybe that was just me, and that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Now, y'all ain't never done that, have you? 
Maybe God was trying to talk, but maybe that was just me and that wasn't really God. Well, she did that. She got, in the, she got in the shower. She took her shower. She got out of the shower. And she said, the Holy Spirit said, I told you, don't go to work today. And she said, well, I ain't going to ignore that twice. So she went and she picked up the phone and she called into work and she said, I'm going to take a day off today. I will not be in. And then not too long after that, she saw the news and she watched the building that she would have been in that morning had God not spoken to her, fall down right before her eyes. Let me tell you where God was that day. God was everywhere. And wherever there is someone suffering in this world, God is there. Wherever there is someone that is hurting in this world, God is there. And even those people who still today refuse to say, well, God help me out of that, God was still there for them. And that's who God is. We are all his creatures. We are all his creation made in his very image. And for every person that is, that is uh, suffering today, and uh, most of it's happening outside of the United States of America, but even here in the States, every person that is suffering today, I guarantee you, this past week when, when, when some, some young students had to stand up and say, yes, I'm a I guarantee you the Spirit of God and an angel with, with a sword was standing there just ready to do battle if God said to. But God said, no, I think I'll just take this one on home with me. It's just the time or what. I don't know why God does all of this, but here's the thing I do know is God is with every person that is suffering. We see it too many times in Scripture, and we see it too many times in practice to to not know. And here's this last thing right up here is God wins. God wins. You remember that. God wins. God invites us to know and to see his glory, to go deeper into who he is, to understand his nature. And, And what you need to understand is he is still the God of this universe. And when the story is truly over, not in the middle of it, stand up like my friend and say, is this it? But when the story is truly over, God will win. Can somebody say amen? Stand with me, if you will. Come to the front, let's close. If you will, come join me at the front, let's close. If you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. We're gonna do that this morning. I got one, one last little slide I wanna share with you. I was going to share it before you came down, but I, I, I need to quit. So I'm going to share it real quick when you get here. Go to the next slide for me, Kelly, if you will. God wins. God can use suffering, even evil, to accomplish good. Now, you remember what I said about Satan just a little bit ago? Satan will take what is good and he will make it evil. And God does just the opposite. They are at war. And how Satan is trying to destroy your life, take off the blinders today. You are, some of you, you're not just having a bad day. Satan is destroying your marriage. He's destroying your finances. He's destroying your health. He's destroying your kids. He's destroying your future. He is taking all the good that is in your life that God has given to you, the Father of lights, and sent every good and every perfect gift to you. He is taking that Satan is, and he's destroying it. But what God will do is he will take that good, that, that, that destruction, and he'll turn it right back around and make it good again. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This, this is the story of Joseph, the Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. First they threw him into a pit, then they sold him into slavery. Then he had to spend uh, spend. Uh, time in prison, and uh, 
But at the end of the whole story, he ended up being the number two man in all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh. He was like vice Pharaoh. Now, I want, I want you to think for just a moment what that really means. Okay, he didn't want for nothing. There were servants peeling grapes for him if he wanted to peel grape. He had all the money he needed. He had a wife and two kids. They had all that they needed. I mean, if they wanted the latest iPad, they had a servant went down to Walmart and bought it and brought it back home to him, charged it, make sure everything was running upright, hand it right to him. Oh, you need some games downloaded? Let me handle that for you too. They had it all. He had gone from the pits, from slavery, from prison to this elevated place. He was number two in the kingdom. And he was, he was now at a place where he could bless his family. But his family was the one that sold him into slavery. And they were all repentant. They were all like, oh my goodness, what in the world is he going to do to us now? And he said, yeah, you're right. You did that to me. Uh, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's what he's saying. God didn't do that. God did this. And you need, to, you need to get that understanding. Quit listening to culture telling you all of that. You need to get this understanding that God ain't doing that to you. God is doing this of what he wants to do right now. And you know what I want? And I asked the prayer team before service. I said, how many of y'all like to pray for somebody who needs a win today? Oh, and their hands all went. I want to pray for somebody who needs a win. I want to pray for somebody who needs a win in, 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 your, in your marriage today. I want to pray for somebody who needs a win in, in your job today. You, you've been looked over for a promotion. You didn't get the raise or you lost your job. You need a job. We've had two staff members get jobs, uh, part-time staff members or, or, or a husband of a staff member get jobs just within the last two weeks because they needed jobs or needed better jobs. You know what? For both of them, it was a long road. One for, it was a long road. One, it was, the other was a bumpy road. But the story wasn't over. And for you, the story's not over. Whatever you're walking in right now, I want to see you walk out of it. I want you to take the blinders off today and realize you don't have to live in that anymore. God wants to give you a win. And I'm about to pray over every one of you, but I wish somebody would just, just walk down here and take my hand or take the hand of one of these prayer team members and do what the Word of God says. We're to agree concerning anything. It shall be done. I'm ready for somebody to get a win. I'm ready for somebody to get a win. Does anybody want to win today? Come on, anybody need a win? Does anybody need a win? Amen. If you don't need a win, I shouldn't have preached this part of the message, should I? Amen. I'm ready for a win. You ready for a win, buddy? Amen. Win. Come on, let's pray. Jamie, go away when you can. God, I pray, Lord, first of all.